Well, hello and welcome to The Sacred Speaks. My name is John Price, I'm your host. And today I'm excited to introduce Mary Casamano in this episode from the Johns Hopkins Center for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research. Mary is a fascinating, fantastic, loving being, and I really enjoyed getting to know her. Let me read her bio and I'll go through some housekeeping and then we'll get started. So Mary Casamano, LMSW, has been working with the John Hopkins Center for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research since 2000 when they began research for psilocybin or with psilocybin. In her role as Director of Guide Facilitator Services, she is responsible for training and supervising session facilitators. She has served as session facilitator and research coordinator involved with all, all the psilocybin studies and has conducted over 450 study sessions. In addition to her work with the psilocybin studies, she has worked with the club drug studies, including salvia, divinorum, and dextromethorphan. She taught individual and group meditation to breast cancer patients in Johns Hopkins Research Study and taught at California Institute of Integral Studies, CIIS, for their psychedelic-assisted therapies and research program. In 2003, she started and has maintained a meditation group for employees in her department. She also has 15 years of experience with direct patient care as a hospice volunteer. In addition to her interest in altered states of consciousness, Mary enjoys time with family, friends, nature, reading, walking, meditating, and playing games. And she's all around a wonderful, kind, beautiful human. So thank you, Mary, for being on this project with me. And you as the listener and viewer, I know you're going to like this one. Uh, at least I hope you will. I know I did. Um, so thanks, Mary. Um, really, thank you. Uh, so re remember, recall that what I'm going to be doing is giving updates for the Sacred Speaks on Instagram. So if you're interested in following that thread, go over and follow the Instagram at the Sacred Speaks. That's the handle. And of course, check out the website for the Sacred Speaks at www.thesacredspeaks.com. Also, as always, the Sacred Speaks is sponsored by the Center for the Healing Arts and Sciences, a boutique integrative wellness center my wife, Leela Scott Price, and I started many moons ago. Check us out at thecenterforhas.com. A lot of great stuff going on over there. And uh, as always, the Young Center. I'm teaching a class currently at the Young Center, but I just really like to let you all know about all the great classes and events and but not that do go on at the Young Center. So check us out at younghouston, J-U-N-G-H-O-U-S-T-O-N.org. And uh, check out Modern Nations for the music, Modern Nation, modernnationsmusic.com. Hang out to the end of the episode. You'll hear the, the full selection of clouds from Modern Nations. And is there anything else? I don't think so, but just be sure to share and like and comment and do what you can. Your support really matters, and it helps with findability. So thanks for continuing to watch, and if it's your first time, first time at the Sacred Speaks, welcome. And for now, we'll leave it there, and I'll bring you the episode. Mary, as you and I are getting acquainted here, I'm... Uh, I'm just so eager to have this conversation with you. Uh, the fact, as we were talking earlier, even in our preparation about being a clinician and connecting with people in the way that we do, in the spaces that we do, 
I think a lot of times I'm I'm talking to folks on the podcast that are interest, interested in the intellectual, you know, the map of the experience. And, you know, my projections onto you are so much about you being involved in what I would consider knee-to-knee, very connected with people as they're navigating the um, weird and wild and overwhelming nature of... Uh, the psychedelic experience, but in particular, the psychedelic experience with regard to healing. And Mm -hmm. so I am overjoyed to connect with you and learn from you. And I'm honored that you're here. Thank you. Well, thank you, John. I um, feel the same way that you're taking the time to interview me. So I appreciate Yes. Thank you. Um, So I... (laughs) I, I want to, of course, allow for people who who don't know you or don't know your work to be mm-hmm. introduced to what you do. But I also want to give you my first question. And sure. so will you kind of let us know who you are and what you do? And maybe you could see that introduction through the lens of this question, which mm-hmm. is how do you work with suffering and how do you understand suffering? Mm-hmm. And could you then take that and then we'll see where we go? Well, that's a big question to start with. It's a big one intentionally. Yeah. So, wow. That on my journey, it's just, it just continues to deepen the same truth principles um, that I have believed in for a long time. Mm-hmm. Suffering is one that is, in a, interestingly closer than ever to what how i've been um working living seeing it um being with it with suffering we know well i don't know anyone who hasn't suffered Mm -hmm. and i don't know anyone who doesn't know anyone who hasn't suffered so universal right and and with that that's the question. How do we navigate the suffering? Because we're all going to have it at some time in our lives. Obviously, some just have more than others do. Mm-hmm. So, so what I have has come to believe in a deeper way is that after, I've talked about this for so long, and it just continues, which is the beauty of all of these, to me, principles from everywhere from spiritual to religious to um, the new age to anyone it's really all the same you know it's here we are and we are you know i can say these are lessons from the psychedelics that i've learned from books that i've read from experiences i've had that we are all one that we are all connected Mm. and and how can we um how can we be one with all everyone's suffering our own and everyone's in this space and have peace Mm -hmm. so peace of mind is my only goal i heard that 40 some years ago when i read a little book by gerald jampolsky called love is letting go of fear and his work is based on a course in miracles Mm. and um and I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's, I think he just died. If not, he's like 96 now. But he was a psychiatrist in, um, in well, the 40s or 50s. And he was 
you know, very well known, very did had a great practice, was doing very well, started to just everything fall apart in his life. And he says this in his books or whatever, um, you know, with alcohol, with his marriage. And he finally got to the point because it was so bad in his back physically that he's like, something's not working. I need to look at what's happening. And so he then got involved with this um, Course in Miracles. And what he came out with in this book, which was has been one of the guidelines, one of the core beliefs and principles, um, is peace of mind is my only goal, forgiveness my only function. Love, there's only two emotions: love and fear. Are um, mm -hmm. love is the answer to all questions, and love is our true essence. And you know, I've talked about this before. That's been my guiding principle. When I when I heard that, when I read that. I, when I hold on to something or hear something that really um, catches me, I'll just read it over and over and over, listen over and over and over, take it in over and over and over. And I've continued to do that with this because I was so grateful that I came to this place of knowing these principles are my guiding principles. So I no longer, because I had been searching, what's the meaning of life? Why am I here? You know, what's my purpose for a long time? And that can get really, um, you know, mixed up and, and, and um, no clarity. So when I discovered this, it was like, okay, I, I, there's no more seeking what's my meaning in life? What am I here for? It was just how do I deepen these in me? Because I know I am not there with these core truths. Mm. I have a long way to go. And I, I talk about this. I talk about it a lot more and more because it's become such a powerful teacher for me. And knowing that's such a I'm very simple for a lot of reasons. I can go back from lots of things. This could be another story in itself. But I need simplicity. I need to be able to um, hear things in simple terms um, from learning things, learning disability things. Um, and so, and, and all these are different pieces of that, but it, when we can get to the core and the simplicity, then we can reach more people. You know, if we, I, I've never been an ap academic. I couldn't be, I didn't want to be, I couldn't be, that wasn't, you know, me. Um, but, you know, I would try to read and I still do, you know, being at Hopkins, but I don't get a lot of that. And, um, and again, it's like, I want to reach as many people as possible. And the simpler I can bring things forward, the more people that can hear it. And if I could jump for a second, because mm -hmm. I had this little voice as you were considering that I work with so many people who have learning differences and issues in the ways that they retain or access information, I had them just in myself included, because uh, I'm part of that community. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I almost had a public service announcement in mind, you know, mm -hmm. that, um, that to see somebody in your position at Hopkins who struggles with the learning would, would seem like a, a contradiction to a lot of folks. And if you could speak about your trajectory um, mm. to becoming a psychedelic guide, but certainly also mm. given what you're talking about in your struggles, 
mm-hmm. being a psychedelic guide at Johns Hopkins and one of the leaders in this space. Uh, would mm-hmm. you speak to that a little bit? Well, I, I'm not quite sure where to begin because it isn't something I've really talked about a lot. I mean, I've talked about simplicity, but I haven't talked um, that much about my personal reasons yeah. and experiences. I actually wrote something, uh, but I haven't had it published. It, you know, it's just a short essay that really brings this forward, that really just throws it out there, how, uh, how humiliating it was for me oh. growing up. And in those days, they didn't know, yeah. you know, what a learning disability. So I got put in places that were wrong and it was even harder. So I know this well, this humiliation of not being able to get things and not, and, and so a lot of cover up, you know, trying to hide that. That's continued, you know, throughout my life. I get over parts of it and a little better here, a little better here. But it has been challenging at Hopkins, as anyone can imagine, with all the scientists, the academia. Um, not only am I not that, but I don't, uh, you know, my, my brain doesn't connect with all that. I have to hear it over and over and over, which I do. And then sometimes it's still difficult. So that's been very much a learning um uh, putting myself in a place, I just believe that wherever we are is exactly where we need to be to get the lessons we need in mm-hmm. our life going forward. And this is a big one. That was a big one. So coming in with you know these feelings of inadequacy with not knowing big words and um, and and being able to read and comprehend well um, was a big one going to Hopkins, right? I can imagine. <laughs> so it's been, a long journey of working through that. Lots of difficult times, lots of dark nights, um, you know, one and getting through it, then another and getting through it. And, you know, and it's like anything, it, things that are really deep in us, uh, at least for me, don't get over once. Even when you have experiences that, that are very insightful and you know, it's still, it doesn't, you know, it takes a while, you know, the peeling of the onion, right? So, um, so that, I don't know if that, you know, speaks to that, if you have any more questions. Well, it does. I mean, I'd like to relate with you for a minute, just as mm-hmm. I, I really struggled my early life and of, of what you said was covering up. Mm-hmm. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's kind of one of the strengths of um, these, what we consider learning differences, which is really more of a judgment of our learning systems. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. we learn however we learn. It's different because there are certain normative ways of accessing knowledge and certain expectations of how people need to do that that then creates the conflict in the individuals as they're developing because there's a social you know, co- cohesion that's sought after. And I, I, I relate with at least what you're saying and what it sent me into is as I was looking at dyslexia and uh, attention issues, you know, I, I read this study at one point that was looking at people um, in a community of entrepreneurs in the United States, dyslexia is represented three times the national average. And in part, what they theorize is that because of the struggles, because of the issues, because of the anxieties and the inferiorities and the issues with shame and judgment, mm-hmm. certain adaptations are created that that involve you know persistence on task, thinking divergently, having a different way of accessing language. And so it sets people apart to view the world differently than 
-hmm. certainly the normative um, way of accessing information would um, suggest. So it creates what we actually seek in adulthood, which is somebody that thinks differently. Mm -hmm. And and so I want to relate with you in, for a moment and say that I can very quickly empathize with mm. uh, with what it's like to be a, a mm. square peg in a round hole, and and f for you to have continued in mm -hmm. uh, a, a really intense intellectual space, I'm sure that's been quite difficult. Um, but what it also does, and this makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. to me about you, given what your reputation is as some of the people that we know who have. Uh, shared their perspectives um, is that you have a great deal of love that you bring. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. not intellect. It's mm -hmm. it's the depth of connection. It's the the mm -hmm. presence. And um, so ironically, it's it's your struggle. I'm imagining that has created you into the person who has been such a a strong figure in the psychedelic healing space. Mm. Well, thank you for that. Um, and. You know, when and talking about this and looking at the Hopkins, my time there and what I've been dealing with with that, I would. There were many times when it's like this isn't right for me. I can't do this. And then I go into a session. I go into a meeting, and I come back and I'd be like, "That's why I'm here." So it was like having both. You know, to get through this really difficult piece, to have the greatest joy that I could, and and so. It was this, you know, very, you know, very separate, but I needed that because I wanted to move through this and work through this mm -hmm. as hard as it was. And that gave me that. So, you know, this might be one of your questions, which is often as with others, but as far as, you know, what have you, what do you get out of it? Or, you know, you give so much or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we, oh, and you hear, we hear this so many times, but you know, it's just so true that what I get out of it is, I don't know, it's not even saying equal or more or less, is is exactly what I wanted for my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. When I, when I heard those truths 40 years ago, how can, my life has not been run by, I want to work here, I want to make this much money. It's where am I supposed to be right now? Always been like that. Wow. I mean, when I worked, when I was offered the job at Hopkins, I didn't know if I wanted it. It wasn't like, oh, Hopkins, you know, it was like, no, I really like where I'm at a lot. And, and, and again, where am I supposed to be for my highest learning and giving? Oh, that, as you're saying, has to do with forgiveness and love. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a good God. I know. Yeah, peace of mind. So I forgot how we got. So, but peace <laughs> of mind is my only goal. So that's the thing with suffering. To go back to what we were talking yeah. about, you know, it's not about getting over what you have or or, or um, you know, getting an illness and and healing from it. Sure, we want that, and hopefully, we'll do everything we can. And uh, it's not about getting this relationship back that I wanted so much. It's about whatever happens to have peace with it. Mm. So suffering is there. How can I have peace with this? How can I bring peace to others who have that? So that kind of goes full circle with that. What a beautiful lane. 
Um, so could, could we get a little practical there? And I'm very curious about that job offer that you got from Hopkins and what set you up to be a, a, a candidate for that job. And uh -huh. then we can, I, 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 I do want to contextualize that a little bit and then talking about what Hopkins does, talking about what you've done there, talking about how you got there. But, but really, of course, I, I'm very interested in the ways in which you work with people and what these, what this mm -hmm. experience of working with so many people, so many mm -hmm. people in um, healing psychedelic spaces has revealed to you about um, your mm -hmm. own life and life in general. So uh, Hopkins, start, start there a bit. Mm -hmm. You mean how I got, how I got there? What set you up to be a candidate for that job? Yeah. Being in a meditation group with Bill Richards. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet Bill. <laughs> what a great dude. Yeah. So before yeah. the studies were, you know, started at Hopkins, he and I were. I say we still are, but since the pandemic, things have really changed. But yeah. so for you know, a couple over a couple of decades in a meditation group together. But we had wow. been in a meditation group together for a couple of years at this point. And one day after one of our groups he said Mary you know can we talk and it was a beautiful evening we sat outside there was a little garden and the wooden benches and and he told me about um the study starting Hopkins with psilocybin and um that they have two guides for the studies and he and all about him and his work with that and he thought I would be a good guide with him and um so I didn't know that the therapeutic value of psychedelics hmm. uh, you know i had no history of that and knowing that and i also i loved what i was doing and wasn't sure i wanted to leave that um and didn't know if it was the right for me to move hmm. into that. so um i he said you know why don't you meet i said but i'm interested you know and um he said you know why don't you meet with roland so i went and met with roland and uh and so I met with Roland, I met with Bill, and that was pretty much it. And they offered me the job. And um, so I had to decide, and I had three weeks to decide. And I was I was working, and this is the, you know, people hear this, and it's like, well, what were you doing that you loved so much that you didn't want to leave and go there? And I was first grade teaching assistant at my son's school, and I part-time and I loved it so much. I knew all the students in the school. I knew most all the parents. I knew yeah. lots of the grandparents. Um, it was a community. It was a family. I took my son and the neighborhood kids to school, was there half day, went and did my thing, brought him back home, played. Um, it was five minutes away. And um, I did substitute teaching. Later, I did some school guidance counseling, but I didn't know. If I mean, I love that. So I tried to do both. I went to my principal and said, I got this offer. It was part time to start. Can I do both? And she said, no, no, you can't do both. And I said, but I can. I know I can. And she said, no, no. So, you know, I kept going inward. What, what should I do? What's right for me? Please give me clarity, you know, meditation and questions. And nothing came, nothing came. I I'd go back to her and I'd say, I worked it out with one of the teachers. We can do it. No, 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 no. So this went on until the night before I had to make the decision and I still didn't have clarity. And I woke up and I was like, something in me knew I was supposed to take the Hopkins job. So I did. And I went to her and I told her and she said, you know, we're very sorry to, you know, leave you, lose you. 
So I took the Hopkins job. About a week later, principal calls me into her office and says, you know what, Mary, we can work it out. I knew in that instant that I needed to let go. Mm. And that was the right decision. So there was never a looking back. I, I, I did both part-time for about a year. And then I went full with Hopkins. But it was that instant, you know, you know that? I mean, I know you know that. We have to let go until it can come to us. That was very specific to that. And um, that was so such a powerful experience and moment for me of knowing this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm. Yeah. Had you uh, had you experimented or explored psychedelics before this? And and that's something that um, you know they're not legal substances, so we really don't um, yeah. you know share that. The guides have had experience with altered states, and there's many ways to have that. You know, yeah. meditation practices, breath work, and things like that. Totally, I've done some of that breath work, and if that that's some powerful practice. Breath work is is very similar. You know, the experience is very powerful. Yeah. Which was, you know, that's why it came up. That's what Sam Groff was looking for when he right. was asked to have this without um, taking the psychedelic since it's now not legal. Right. So when you become this guide, you know, what? how, how did you train for that? And how do you train people <laughs> to be? There? Well, that's the beauty for me. I'm so unique in this field because, you know, the way that Hopkins started it, it wasn't going to other places. I was, I, my training was being with Bill in my first hundred sessions. Just sitting with him, talking yes. with him, with him being with him. So, you know, the real hands-on right in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and would you set that up a bit? What What's the session like? And what were you yeah. learning as you were doing this training? Yeah. Well, the sessions, as most people know, most people on this who are familiar with the field know, it's certainly you know many people who aren't familiar. But it's there's always two guides. At least there there have been in our studies, and most all going forward have it's shifting a little bit now. Do we need to? Can, how can mm -hmm. we? Work that? And um, you know there are a couple of studies where they'll do a group and have some people watching. But anyway, we always had two guides and one you know participant. And when the participant, um, you know, was accepted, enrolled, they then have the two guides with them through the preparation, the session itself, or sessions, depending on how many they have, and the integration. And um, so you're there. I mean, you are, this relationship is so intimate and so intense because of the nature of, you know, nature of having to have such a short time in the big picture of life to take a psychedelic and be open to whatever might come up. And so you really have to trust and have a safety, um, to feel safe with your guides. That's the most important thing, as we know that. If we're gonna open up, we're gonna be vulnerable. Safety is, is how and why we will do it. If we don't, we won't. So that's the most important thing are the way that the design is. And this, of course, was taken from the early you know, days when they um, had these studies was that the volunteer, the participant shares their life story. Obviously, 
in that, you know, eight hours is what we were using as our time frame. It's a, sometimes a little shorter, longer, depending on, you know, we started the cancer. Sometimes it was 10 plus hours, but, you know, generally it was the eight for a long time. And um, so part of that eight, besides them telling their story, is uh, preparing them for a high dose psilocybin session, how to navigate that and logistics of that. When you say high dose, what do you mean? Well, we always have in our studies, we always have at least one of the doses that's a higher therapeutic dose that when we did our dose effect study, our second study is when we found what we believed was the optimal um, doses to have most likely to have a therapeutic effect. What is that? So it's 20 to 30 milligrams per 70 kilograms, which is at the time it was by weight. We don't do um, all of them by weight. Now study our team did found that they didn't really see a lot of difference or any difference. And so, um, but that's what it was at the time. So it's still, it's still similar to that, but it's, so it's 20 milligrams to 30 milligrams is kind of, it's the, which is three to five um, dried grams. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and what the term heroic dose, which people, you right. know, gotten around is the, um, you know, the 30 milligrams, the high. Got it. Thank you. Uh, and we talked earlier about uh, preparation, you know, the, when mm -hmm. you, when you do think of people who are, you know, cause I'm listening to different kinds of audience members and certainly my own curiosities. And I just did a lecture for a community of psychotherapists on addiction, treating addiction with psychedelics. And what of course came out of it, here I am this like individual who's been studying this for a long time. The, the practicalities were really what people were asking. Like, how do you prepare? How do you, what do you ask a guide? You know, how do you find a trusted guide? So mm -hmm. I want to move in not only into your experiences and the kind of trauma work that you've done and the, the work with suffering, but also from a practical perspective, um, what kind of mental or psychological or physical preparations should somebody undergo before they engage in these kinds of experiences? You mean um, the participant? The participant, yeah. So besides the preparation with us, what should they be doing? Is that what mm -hmm. you're asking? Yeah. Well, I mean, do you want to be here? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, really asking them, do you want to be here? Why do you want to be here? You know, what is, what are you hoping to get? You know, um, you know, our alcohol depression study that I'm working with a few now, keep asking, what do you want? You know, what do you want from that? Okay. This is what you want. Okay. This is what you want. This is why you're here. So to keep that very, very close to you, what you want, you know? And so um, how can we, this is more the integration, how can we move toward that? But um, I don't know, I don't know. I'm going to stop with that and ask, see if you have another question around that. I do. Um, yeah, my... Um... Hang on, I'm having trouble reading my writing there that I just... Uh, oh, yeah. I, as you mentioned, alcohol and depression studies. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about that line. Like, what studies have you participated in as a guide? And would mm -hmm. you talk about kind of why those arenas have been under study uh, and what, what is effective from the... For, for, certainly for psilocybin? Well, the studies I've been involved in, are pretty much all of them is have except for the last couple ones we're just starting up now. But our first one was our first one, looking at the safety, looking at the kind 
called Miss, bring about a mystical experience. The second one was the dose effect, you know, mm. like I talked about. Those were both called healthy, um, normal or healthy volunteer studies. Uh, and so they didn't have to have a specific, you know, mm -hmm. um, issue indication. And then our third one was the cancer, um, looking at anxiety, depression, existential distress. And so that was moving into then these different areas. And then our fourth one was the addictions with smoking. And then the fifth one was the another healthy study of beginner meditator or spiritual practices. Mm -hmm. And then we did a long-term meditator. And then we did a religious professional. And then we started um, before that, um, started doing things with brain imaging and bringing in, you know, that to um, our studies. And uh, now we're doing, let's see, we just are fin uh, an an anorexia, which we're just finishing up. The, the uh, very large um, smoking addiction continued from their pilot and just finishing that up now. So the anorexia and the smoking cessation, uh, just on the end of that and alcohol and depression, co-occurring alcohol and depression now, and post-treatment Lyme disease mm. um, is another we're currently enrolling, and Alzheimer's, early stage Alzheimer's, and we just started OCD, and then we're going to be doing a number of others that uh, we've already we've put in the design when we got our $17 million grant, I think it's been four years ago now, so yeah, so a lot. A lot. And, and what what can you comment on this? But what do the data suggest about these the psilocybin for these various interventions? So, the up until now the we've oh depression study. I mm -hmm. we have two, we've had two depression study. One our own at Hopkins, and then the, one the multi site um, completed both of those. Our our depression study has been published. The uh, multi site hasn't yet. But what the major what are all of our studies across the board. And again, there's still small samples, um, still you know very similar populations. But what we have found is that the majority have benefit. Many have quite um, profound changes and shifts, but almost everyone has some benefit and often it's a lot. Could you qualify that? What do you tend to see? Well, that, you know, in our depression study, uh, again, a small sample of 24, but at our different time points up to the 12 month, they were all very similar that more than half, no longer, 58% no longer had qualified for depression. And I think it was 70% had significant improvement, meaning that they were had a, over 50% got better than they were at the beginning. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, and Mary, I, I know uh, you, I, you need to be careful with how you talk about these things for all kinds of very understandable reasons. I don't. I'm a clinician and I yeah. am extremely frustrated by how limited we are when it comes to providing people with these kinds of healing modalities yeah. and the legality issues that are, have been necessary for whatever reason. But yeah. it is, I've been sitting knee to knee with people for 15 years yeah. and to know what's happening in the psychedelic arena regarding the outcomes that mm -hmm. we see that are validated. And, and then when we see these meta studies that are coming out on 
uh, typical SSRI treatment for depression, and it's just dismal. I mean, it, it is to, mm-hmm. to notice what's going on and what we have at our fingertips to allow for people. people. And I'm thinking about addiction. I'm thinking about uh, anxiety related to death. I'm thinking about terminal illness, and I'm thinking about what we call treatment-resistant depression, which mm-hmm. if anybody has ever sat with somebody who is suffering from, quote, treatment-resistant depression, this is a particular brand of misery that is contagious. Right. It is so overwhelming. I have so much compassion for the people who are struggling with this and to know that there are these experiences where even for a moment you have a kind of unifying experience, a mystical experience. That's not arguable. That no, Nobody can argue with that. You just know. Yeah. And I, I, so I, I don't mean to get... <laughs> I just think as a clinician, I hear these, uh, hear what you're saying, and I just go, oh my gosh, I, thankfully we're moving in this direction. Thankfully. Yeah. And you can imagine for me, I get calls, we all get calls or center and all the time, every day calls, emails. I need help. My son needs help. My uh, father's dying. My son has, you know, treatment, we've tried everything. Yep. I, and I don't, and I know that it may be helpful for them right. and I have nothing to offer. I mean, other than maybe there's a clinical trial, you know, yes. uh, and yeah, I mean, yes, there's small studies in the big picture. Yes. They're, you know, a pretty, you know, standard, you know, group of um, mm-hmm. people we have come in, but I see over and over every day for going on 23 years over and over and over. You gave me my life back. I don't have anxiety anymore. I can live my life fully now. I've never, I love myself now. I now see how I can forgive my husband, how I want to be closer and over and over and over and over. You know, there's no question to me the therapeutic value. It's just figuring out, you know, how to prepare someone to do the proper screening. Is this person Mm -hmm. right? When you say, how, how does a person prepare? That's, you know, that's both. Are they ready to? Is it right for them? It's not right for everyone. Would, would you speak to that? Who is it not, in your experience at least, who's, who do you believe it's not right for? Well, it's people who are not ready to do the work. People who are not, who are just, t- well, it's interesting though, because, you know, we've had, we have a, a number of people who are just there to take the psychedelic and say, one time I'm going to be cured, you know, of my alcoholism, my smoking. And, and yes, we hear that, but it's like, I don't want to, you know, talk about myself and I don't want to, this is very rare, you know, mm-hmm. but that type of person um, where, no, I, I'm not interested in talking about myself. I'm not interested in you trying to, you know, see me. And it's like, well, you know what, then this may not be right for you because this is what it's about. Mm-hmm. This is here together. When you go in to a psychedelic experience we have no idea what your experience is going to be and we've seen you know so much variation but we do know that we don't know that it can anything can come up and i i say this and i just so i believe it inside of all of us because we are all connected we all have the same the same um humanness that we have inside of us this capacity to be a Hitler, Mother Teresa, um, and and 
on this day with you, with, with us here, we don't know what's going to come up. And we want to say, that's a good thing if it's coming up, but only if you feel safe with us and you have to trust us and you have to feel safe and you have to say, yes, I'm, I, I don't know, I'm afraid, but I'm here with us. I feel, do you feel safe? Are you ready for it? You know, and if they're not, no. I've besides that, go on, sir. I was just gonna say, besides the other conditions, of course, the medical, you have right. to look at and, and just where they're at in there. You know, they have a safety net, you know, you give them these possible going to places that are really, it's not uncommon, to, as we know more and more, the, the common out, you know, how common it is to have sexual abuse and how it's just not spoken of so often. So it's just, it's not uncommon. You see it a lot that it comes up in a session you, where they- You mean know. repressed sexual abuse that- they didn't know they yeah. thought they healed that they you know and so yeah yeah that comes up and, yeah. and someone doesn't have the proper support that's not a good thing so you want to make sure of that speak to that for a second what is your fantasy about what proper support looks like well that is you know that's tricky because you know what's your home life like what are your what, friends community you know, therapist, geeks. Um, so we're only here for a certain amount of time. Um, we, we didn't start this at first until our actually depression study. So, you know, we want to make sure when you're done with us, you have the support, whether mm -hmm. it be community, a therapist, or something to, you know, with family, something where you have the support too. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. That's a little, a little like what I've always said to folks about, if they're taking uh, SSRIs, is it so often every study I'd ever read is SSRIs along with some kind of psychotherapy or some kind of healing modality. And so often people take the medicine, but they don't do, quote, do the work. And, well, yeah, yeah. And so I, I'm. that's kind of what we were talking about earlier before we got started is how necessary the, the, the what we call integration, you know, the, the preparation, the experience, the integration, the community, and we're, we're just not there yet as far as having these centralized places that people can, yeah. can go into that. And that's what hopefully as, you know, these become hopefully, you know, available yeah. and just grow in the knowledge and understanding of the importance of a community, yeah. you know, of that support, of a community support. And education is huge needed in this area for that yeah. because- you know, I'm in the psychedelic world. And so um, with a lot of the people in the psychedelic world, it's like, well, everyone knows that this and this and this. I'm not saying they all practice it properly, but they know that, you know, the majority of the world doesn't. And so it's education on, you know, what these can do and what they can't do and what we need to you know, be aware of and think about um, and how to, you know, be a community with them. With that in mind, what are some common misconceptions about psychedelic-assisted therapies? It's a panacea, you know, yeah. and that it's one time. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. even the one time that, yeah, we do have studies where it's one time and they, they've just changed. You know, it's given this new way of navigating the world, which, yes, but that doesn't mean you don't have to 
continue to take in what the experience was and bring it in, into you, into your life. And it's always going to be there because you've had it. But it's, if you go back to the exact same way yeah. you were in, it's going to go just stay down there. This is something that Murray Stein and I talked about when we were discussing Jung's Red Book, that he made the comment of the ethics, the ethical implication of needing to live your life in a different way. So to, mm -hmm. to, to think that you can be some receptive vessel that has some experience and all of a sudden you're transformed, to, to take, Joseph Campbell talked about this, right? To take the underworld journey and mm -hmm. to incarnate that in your lived sociological experience how necessary that is to be different, to to be that change you experienced, as Gandhi might say, and and how rarely that happens because our our routines are so powerful, uh, our mm. habits are so powerful. Yeah. You have to, you know, you have to have the intention, you have to pay attention, and you have to have action that you're going to take with that. Mm -hmm. And I just more and more and more and more and more. It's like, what do you, what do you want? What are you going to do about it? What little thing, what, you know, the micro steps it's, it's not okay. Here I am. I'm going to just, I mean, yes, people quit smoking like that people, you know, but they still have to, you know, navigate that world and, mm -hmm. you know, how do they do that? So the the one thing that really comes up when people think about psychedelics is this uh, is this scary, really scary idea of a bad trip. Mm -hmm. And would you speak about what you've learned about bad trips and how you navigate through that experience? Yeah, well, it's just what I was beginning said a bit about just a little bit ago is that yeah, because there's a lot of scary stuff inside of us, stuff mm -hmm. that happened to us, you know, throughout our life that was scary. And we didn't have the proper way to to be, talk about it, to integrate it. So it's just stuck in there. So if it comes up, that's a good thing. You want it to come up so you can move through it. But again, and, and so everything is welcome. That's everything is welcome. If you feel safe to let it be welcome to come up because it's there. You know, I read this fairly recently in this way and I loved it so much. It says fear is power. And that says fear is energy. And fear and fear will talk to us if we have a conversation. Welcome. I mean, I would say this before, you know, and I mean it, you know, why are you here? What can you teach me? And that's one of the guidelines. But hearing it in that way, again, these simple little things, not simple, not little, but simple in that way. When I say all is welcome. Fear is power and it can be, we let's befriend it and, and ask, how can you help me? You know, what can you teach me? Why are you here? Feeling it, going into your body and allowing it, allowing it, allowing it, allowing it and, and not pushing it away. And, and then, okay, how can I, how can we calm this? What can I do to calm you? What can I do to relax you? What can we do to feel better together? Right. Mm -hmm. And 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 when you have been prepped in that way that you really believe it, that you feel that safety. And even in your session, when it, it when if it comes up, it's horrific fear. Yeah, we talked about this. You're safe here. 
this is the time to feel it. This is the time. Now you're safe here. We're connected. We care for you. We're right here with you. Go for it. We talk about go deeper, go deeper into it. And mm. just that simple over and over holding their hand if they need it, if they want it, you know, that's the whole thing that yeah. um, often is, and just over and over, we're right here with you. We're not leaving, whether you want us to or not, we're here, you're safe, go for it. So that is, you know, that's how we talk about, it. that's how I believe it's a good thing. Welcome it. All is welcome. We're, we are all that. That's the, you know, the suffering. We're all of that. We're everything. And, and that's what we, that's what we embrace everything and accept everything and acknowledge everything. And yeah, I don't like it. I don't want to feel like that, but here it is. And I still am love. I still have that core. I am love. You are love. So as much as I can be reminded, be with me, embody it, fear comes up, love is stronger than fear. That hope mm -hmm. goes back again. There's only two emotions, love and fear. Everything, if it's not love, is fear. When someone's anger, what is it? They're afraid of this. Mm -hmm. When there's shame, they're afraid of disconnection. It's always afraid of not having love. So that's, you know, that's just. Well, so right? you talked about, uh, thank you for that. You've talked about fear and mm -hmm. you've mentioned a number of times love. Mm -hmm. And could you comment on that? Even if stories, any kind of stories that come to your mind or ideas or images mm -hmm. of what love is and how love uh, is a participant, an active participant in these experiences of healing and suffering. Mm -hmm. Well, just what I was ending with, I just, I believe it in my core, something, like I said, when I heard that, you know, that little love is, um, it's either love or fear, that love is who we are. I mean, there's so many, that that was, that was my guiding principle. It, it, I don't know why, it just became this thing with me, um, this word love. And it's like, and I know there's all this cliche around it, but a while into our studies when I was knew I needed to write about what I book because it was all all it was, about, it was 11 years in and it was really all the science that was really talked about and it wasn't talking about you know what was going on what I was experiencing and it was our fifth study our spiritual practices study and I was doing a lot of the intakes and people were the questionnaires there weren't a lot that um that we could use that didn't have the word spiritual or God in them, even though it was, it was um, it not, we weren't just looking for people in that realm. It was anyone. So we get atheists, we get agnostics and they'd say, I just can't relate to these um, questions, you know, because it says, and we say, yeah, but just the God of your understanding, it might be nature. And they're, yeah, but I just, I see him. I can't, you know, because of many reasons. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I remember, I mean, so clearly I was sitting with someone um, and I'd heard this many times, but in that instant, it was like, okay, Mary, you don't like to write. You have to, what is happening? What is happening? And it, I know it's bigger, you know, yes, there's religion. Yes. There's spirituality, but many people don't fit in that category. And 
it's it's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And then when I began writing about it, the first what came up, you know, I wrote it a little piece about it, but I I don't like to write. I'm not good at writing. I I don't like the I don't can't ever find the right words because I don't have that good vocabulary. <laughs> but I was like, I have to do this. I have to. I hate. It, I have to. I'm going to do. It. So I started writing and right away it was like I don't know I don't even know what to write and I had just read um finished reading Hemingway's Immovable Feast and right came to me was okay he said when he gets stuck he just writes one sentence he said that writes the truest sentence that I know and that that's where and so I was like okay that's what I'm gonna do so I took a breath I closed my eyes and what's my sentence and what came out was the word love. That was my sentence. And that was it. I mean, that wasn't just it. That was another. And then it was like, okay, Mary, what does that mean? What is what does that mean, love? You know, yes. This. And then it was like, okay, let me think. Let me think. Love, love is connection. Love is when I connect with when I connect with someone, something. In that, and what does that mean? When it's connecting myself with others, with everything, what does that mean? What does that mean? Connect. And when I connect, when I'm with someone or something, you know, whether it's nature or just sitting, without any walls, blocks, barriers, you know, I'm no good. They're no good. They don't look good. I don't look right. When all of the judgment all of our things that, you know, that that block us, when all of that is removed and we're just there together, that's it. That is love, but, but, but it's that, it's that space of 100%. I'm okay. You're okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, But right. That's it. So that's, all our work is, is removing these walls and barriers. And so at, right at that time when I'm writing this, I listen to a lot of things. I'm always listening to something that I, will bring me closer to me. Um, and I, it's one of the most popular TED Talks of all times. It's um, Brene's Brown, um, ability, the power of vulnerability. And she said exactly what I had just come to. It's... Um, that connection is why we're here. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. The way to connect is by being vulnerable, but we're so afraid that if we're vulnerable, then we're not gonna be loved because they're gonna see all this stuff inside that is gonna disconnect us. And so we put up these blocks and barriers, but in fact, it's when we allow them to be seen, that's how we connect. And then she said, how do we do that? And courage mm. and then said i just love this so much this, i listened to that probably over a hundred times um the the courage is from core which means heart mm. so it's telling the story of who you are with your whole heart right so that's the prep just tell us tell us 
everything, the things you're most shameful about, the things that you're most sad about, the things you don't want to tell us, and everything else, all the good things too, but especially the things that, that are most buried inside. And we've had people over and over tell us things that they've never told anyone. And then it's like, how does that feel? See you. And you know what? And we're still here and we still care about you. In fact, our connection is enhanced by your being vulnerable, by your allowing yourself to be seen. That's it. That's what love is. It's removing all of the, the, the you know, the barriers, the walls, the what we were brought up with in teachings and what this person believed all the, and, and, you know, that wasn't right. You know, let's, let's, let's disentangle what this, so what when you feel fear in your body, okay, you're feeling fear, but you're safe. Isn't that interesting? Right. Mm -hmm. So let's disentangle. So the fear is here and you're safe and the love is here and the care is here and the connection is here. And they can both be here because they are. We're not pushing it away. We're just knowing that they can all have both. And this is stronger. And do you feel that? Do you feel that? How does that feel? And then it feels good. It feels good. It's taking that good feeling. That lightness. What is that? Where does it feel warm inside? Breathe into that. Pay attention to that. You know, I talk about, I always, or for a long, long time, I always bring in play and joy mm. because it's, because it's, I love it because it's, it's so, it's so part of me, always has been. And it's so, again, what is, oh, play, fun, joy, that's, you know, is just frivolous. And yet, there's a lot there's now becoming more lots of studies on that but the but the it's 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 part of it it's our play and joy it's our inherent nature it's part of how we thrive it how it's how it's humor is how we process things how we can get out of that negative loop and just lighten up a little bit to start to open up right and so bring in play when you notice play you know, I if I've had a heavy session, you know, a prep, you know, I, I, you know what, I don't, I just want to tell a joke. Is that okay? You know, this has been really heavy and really important, and thank you. And let's, can I tell a joke? And and then we laugh, and then it's both, but the play is so underserved, and the psychedelics teach play, and all the time. And yet that's not something that people talk about. I talk about it. I always want to bring it in because mm. it's, it's key. It's key with the heaviness. It, it's, it helps us to then go. Right. And that was, that was what I loved when I met with Roland. Um, one of the things that was on my CV was that I ran laughing club, a laughing club. And he asked about it. And I love that he asked about it. And here I'm going to take a minute to talk about this because it's it's 
it's big for me. Um, the Laughing Clubs, which when I heard about them, this was, well, now about 30 years ago or so, I was like ecstatic. I was like, it was an article in a health magazine from the old days about a doctor in India who had laughing clubs all over India. And um, and all they did was get, to, do you know them? Are you familiar with the laughing clubs? Yes. Yeah. So my girlfriend actually gave me the article and uh, said, Mary, this is you, because I'm always the one to play and bring games. And, and um, so I started to read the article and we were all together. We were playing games, it was a group of my friends. And I got home and I just couldn't put it down. And it was about this. And the next morning I called up this Dr. Kateria, who started the laughing clubs in India. There was a number in this little article and I called him up and he answered and I talked with him. And um, he sent me all the materials to start a laughing club. And I brought it, tried, started to bring, I tried to bring it forward. And most people said, it's a great idea, but no. But then I found, I was doing hospice volunteering at a hospital and I went to the employee health and the woman who was in charge of the employee health for the hospital loved it like I did. And so we ran them for about a year. And the the funny thing is, um, nobody really came. We did it. For, that's, that's, <laughs> we did it for a year. Every week, we changed times. People would come like once, and um, you know, then leave or twice. And then I went to a fair, got eighty five people signed up, and then nobody came or one. But the the reason why, and this is all part of this, is that when you're laughing. I mean, you're, you're really doing the deep primal um, laughing, you know, core laughing. You are so vulnerable when you really let yourself go. And so it, it didn't, that's why it didn't work. But the other mm -hmm. piece, beauty of why I liked it so much, talk about simplicity. Laughing has no barriers, color, race, language, um, everybody laughs and you don't have to know anything other than a laugh. I mean, we all laugh, right? So the power of bringing that forward and, and allowing laughter to be a part of it and really laughing. I mean, one of the psilocybin is a nickname for psilocybin, psilocybin, because people often have these experience of this deep, you know, deep, guttural laughter. And the laughter is everything I thought that was important. My degree, my looks, my age, all that. You realize isn't important. And there's such joy in knowing this, that's all that important is being together, connecting and being one. And that's joy. And that's who we are. And that's play and fun and joy and laughter. So how can we bring that in? Right? Yeah. And it's fun. It feels good. Yeah. We, we feel good. We Everything we do, everything anyone does, they do it because they think it's going to make them feel better. Even if it's these horrific things, as we know, mm -hmm. they think the moment it's going to make them feel better, whatever it is. So let's find ways to feel good, really, the the true good thank you for that that was a <laughs> that was an that was a loving experience i just had listening to you uh -huh. 
Um, I, I had this thought as you were, as you were talking is that, uh, this, this dual relationship between love and fear that you can fear love and you can love fear. And when you love fear, which is what you were talking about, mm. allowing it to exist, allowing it to be expressed, yeah, yeah. being connected yeah. with the fullness of your experience with what you believe to be disgusting and undesirable and shameful and harmful and being safe feeling safe, probably being safe, but feeling unsafe. And despite that, still allowing its expression. Yes. That, uh, that's powerful stuff, Mary. And that's what our work is. And, yeah. you know, again, it's all of these things. I just keep, I'm amazed at how I'm always, I'm always doing something to embody these, you know, beliefs, these truths, you know, more because you know why? Because it's insatiable and, and you can mm. always go deeper into love, you can always go mm. deeper into who we are. And so uh, all these things that I say that I've said over and over, it's like, ah, oh, I just found a new way to embody that. That's incredible. Incredible. So this whole thing, when I said this fear thing has really been um, on my, in my space lately, more and more, it's just like, okay, the minute I feel I've, I, I want to, that I'm contracting, that's another thing. Um, fear, fear is contraction. Um, anytime we contract, right? Anytime we contract that, you know, I, I talk about um, a, a contraction versus expansion. Mm -hmm. And when we contract, mm -hmm. that's we're afraid. So when I, and it's with like it, for the littlest thing, like, and I gave this example, and sorry, my husband, Jim, <laughs> but um, it's like, you know, okay, I'm just going to say it. Um, so, you know, when you've been with somebody for 46 years, like Jim and I have, um, who I love dearly. I know he loves me, um, but there are things that bother me about him. <laughs> and, no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know, but it's things that I have bothered me for a long time. Anyway, my triggers, my stuff, but it was like, I want to, I want to be aware the instant I'm, he says something and I start to contract. You know, mm. I'm really good at not saying anything. I've gotten, you know, I because I know, but but the next level is I want to I want to sit with this. I want to bring love in. Uh, this was something I was reading. When you least want to bring love in, whether it's for yourself or someone else or something else, when you you know how well, I know how I can be so angry at myself or angry at someone, the last thing I want to do is yeah. to come. Right. And when you do that, that is power. So I want to, I want to be aware when I feel that to remember that to, so I can say, okay, Mary. And, and if I can do it, especially now with pandemic and I'm doing more at home, I'll go run in my other room, sit in my chair and just go, Breathe into that, feel that, bring love in, feel it and bring love in. That is power. That fear becomes love, becomes power. 
Well, go go into this because a lot of times people I, I see people do this, which is more it, it's subtle. It's more an act of repression. Like I, I, mm -hmm. I just shut that down as opposed to relate to a difference. So comment comment on the distinction for a minute. Yeah, no, thank you for that. That's really important, right? It's there, right? You're feeling it. So you don't want to push it down. Again, okay, you are here. I want to feel right now. I don't want to push it down. I want to feel it right now. You're here. Why are you here? What can you teach me? Breathing into it. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to back away. We're together on this. And love is here too. And holding both, it's like so often with, um, you know, with the anorexia study, they're so identified. And so when they start talking about their shame and, and their eating behaviors, it's like, okay, that's not you. That's a part of you. And, and that got there because you needed it to be there how it was at the time it started. And then it just took a life of own. And it's out of balance. I just want, we just want to bring it back in balance. So how can we bring this back in balance? We're not getting rid of it. We're just having it work for us. You know, we need to have, we need to be afraid of things that not run out in the street. We need to. So, so in that way, you know, it's being right here, right now. I mean, that, that's another, but well, that's another of the teachings um, of Daryl Dompolsky. The present moment is all there is. And that's one of the teachings that over and over and over and over and over is one of the teachings of the psychedelics, which is one of the teachings of, I mean, it's one of the truths of the world. You can only, the, the present moment is all there is. It's the only place we can make change. So it's that, that's what meditation is about. So that more moments when you're not in meditation, you're in the present moment. That's, that's what it's about being present more and more and more moments of my life in the present moment. It's really hard to do and how we're brought up our society, not taught it, but that's it. So bring everything right now and, and honor it all now. And okay, now what, now what, now where do you want to go? What? And then, and then when you, when you, when you allow yourself to feel it all, to have them all, without the judgment, then you open up this whole space of, okay, okay, there's all this now to, to curious, what can I, what can I do now? This isn't, you know, this is here. It's not my whole me. It's not my whole identity. And, and I do this all the time now. It's my open arm thing. I've been doing it for a long time, but I've talked about it Almost pretty much every time I give a talk or something, open arm. It be, I started doing it with all is welcome. And again, guess it kept deepening and deepening, all is welcome. Yeah, love, joy, peace. And then it's like, well, wait a minute. Um, anger, shame, all it's a, <laughs> it just continues to again take new new levels, new life. But when you physically, when you physically open. You're breathing deeper. You're bringing more energy in. You're automatically feeling better. So, our physical physicality, what we do physically, makes a difference. And so, 
And and for me, the open arm, the all is welcome, everything is welcome, fear, shame, and really breathe into that and bring it forward. Like if I'm feeling that fear and shame, I'll and I in a place I can, I'll do that. And and here's the other piece <laughs> that comes for me with that is okay, we're all one, we're all connected right? We say that all the time. And I believe that. And, and I hear it all, often. I know that. What does that mean? What does that mean? Or one word. And, and this is what I begin, begin to really bring forward is we think that we're this carved out place. Think we're just this body here. Don't come too close. Don't get here. You know, and well, wait a minute, if we're all one, and there's a lot of paradoxicality in the mystical experience, but when we, when we breathe, first of all, we're exchanging atoms, right? But when we open our arms, it's more of an invitation to not be this little space kind of, it's, I'm here, I'm ready, mm. I want to, and, and when you, bring that physically, there's a whole nother dimension. I feel for me, I know it. And it, and it feels good. It feels really good to do it. So there's so many levels that this, and then start moving. So I, okay, here's the quote that I love so much that um, speaks to this. Uh, it was from um, Ruth Ozeki, the, uh, the book of form and emptiness. Do you know that? No. Came out a couple, maybe three, I don't know, fairly recently. I read it about a year ago now, I think. Uh, oh my God, it's it's incredible book. It's about a 13-year-old boy whose father died. And then he starts hearing voices. And the book is, it's about five, 600 pages. It's about, as a teenager, 13-year-old, hearing these voices and then gets put into an it's like ward dealing with that, then he gets taken out and then he meets people, these like crazy, but not crazy people who are like, you know what, these voices, you know, maybe they're not so bad. Maybe they can teach you something. Maybe they're, so it's this play of back and forth. And then he'll go in another time because he gets, it gets overwhelming. And then he'll have that whole experience with the, you know, how we institutionalize people. Mm -hmm. I'll come back out. It is, beautifully done but here's a line and she's talking about um this was before the, the father died she's with her husband and she's talking about it as individual as their relationship but i i use it as as universal and I, I i know it's both so she says this line is if skin marks the border where i end and you begin let's do everything we can to cross it so that's it, you know, let's, let's move. So I, and then I read, and then another book, it's also synchronous, another book I'm reading, it talked about very similar, this space, and feel yourself as you walk, feel yourself moving. It, it, the space is not empty, it's full. And, and feel yourself moving in and out of space and, 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 and moving just out of this little body that we have and connecting. And when you walk, imagine yourself melting into the, ground and 
and going higher when you do. And so, but to me, that speaks to more of connecting with all, with everyone, with everything. That's another way of doing that. Yeah. Right? Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that right. Yeah, it is. And it's that, it's that. But just what I was saying, we think we're the skin marking the border where I end and you begin. What can we do to cross that? Mm. That's what that's why so it here. brings a new uh, a new meaning to the uh, the prayer that says, "Forgive me our forgive us our trespasses." <laughs> you know, it's let's uh, let's cross boundaries and do so with love, and and that's a that's a different proposition. Yeah, right. Forgiveness you, is key to happiness. That's the one of the. Well, yeah, and I want to get. I want to. I'm going to write down the word forgiveness because I want to come back to that because it's something that I think I'd love to talk to you about. Um, yeah. actually forgiveness and death are two things I want to jump into, <laughs> um, but, <laughs> you know, so, uh, but you, you've obviously been an experienced meditator for a long time in your life. And I, I'm wondering what you can say about the differences between meditation and folks that have psilocybin as a practice or as an experience and where they, you know, where they connect and where they're different and just open up there and comment freely. Well, that's this. something that I'm very, very different, I guess, in the sense of I'm not the um, standard long-term meditator. Mm -hmm. I, I've always had a meditation practice and it's been a million different things, but not, not a million, I'm exaggerating, <laughs> but it's, um, you know, for a while it might be breath. <laughs> for a while it might be breath. For a while, it might be open awareness for a while. I mean, but it's always incorporating walking with um, loving kindness. Yeah. I think that one of the most brilliant meditations brought forward, that was another person, Pema Chodron, mm. at this 40 years ago. Um, Pema Chodron, Gerald Jampolsky, and Leo Biscaglia mm. were my three teachers. When I heard Pema Chodron and talk about Tonglen, yeah. Oh, yes. Right. Talk about forgiveness. Yeah. I thought it was going to die from joy of having this practice so clearly that I could do. I mean, it was, and, and it's, and so now it's, of course, called meta or loving kindness. But so I, I, I wrote a little something about that, just how I use it and bring it forward. But it's the one that I so often talk about in, um, when we're integrating is, because so many people can't meditate. So the, the, the way they think meditating is. And so it's like, no, no. And I can bring it in so clearly because I've not been that type. Yet I, you know, have so many ways. And if you, you know, so many people, I can't sit, I get bored, I can't do it. Great. Loving kindness gives you something to say. So, you know, always, and it's, it's working on loving yourself. It's working on loving someone, going deeper with someone you already love. It's working on someone neutral. It's working on someone you have a difficult time with. It's working on all. And, and you can jump in and out. You can spend the whole time on everyone, the whole time on yourself, go back and forth. But, and you only need 10 minutes you know, or whatever, five minutes, whatever, one minute. But it it's so, and there's a lot of science on that, doing it for a very short time over, like, I don't know, Barbara Fredrickson, six weeks or eight weeks of the, the changes that happen and the vagal, and I don't know all that science part of it, but mm -hmm. very much 
causes, you know, shifts and, you know, feeling better. And, and, and what a beautiful practice to have in your life. Um, and in, in so many ways and in an easy meditation in the sense of do it really, you know, just a short time and very focused. So you have something to say and something to do. And it's so positive. Right. So, so and so. let's let's get into the forgiveness piece. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Just I, I, the lobbed ball that I'll throw out there is just forgiveness in general. What is that? Because my experience is that people really struggle with it. Similarly, when we yes. talk about loving an experience or being of love is somehow equated with repressing feelings like anger and resentment and so on and so forth. Forgiveness can be one of those things that people cling to because they're thinking like, I don't want to let somebody off the hook. You know, like, I don't want to. Um, yeah, I, I, we're in such a reward punishment dynamic. Like, I don't want to allow somebody to be liberated from my anger or from my yeah. resentment. So, yeah. so yeah. talk about forgiveness a bit. So this is really, really interesting because this is so close again to a practice now with that. Uh, I mean, I, like I said, the forgiveness is what I heard yeah. and, and really that was the hardest one for me to understand then, um, how that really is the key to happiness. So that yeah. took a while to really get deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, and so I, 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 I know that now, but in the way that of course that we know, or I know many that forgiving ourselves we're the hardest to, but really until we forgive ourselves, we're not forgiving others. Mm -hmm. So, so, okay. I don't know how this is going to fit, but I know it's what I mean by this. Um, it's that whole acceptance of everything. So if I'm feeling anger or hate or, you know, sadly, those things, I mean, well, they're just part of me. Okay. I'm not going to, if I'm feeling that, and I can say, because it's hard to do, I, I love you anyway, Mary, even though you're feeling this anger and hate towards this person or this thing or this situation. And really, really be able to, which is a work in progress, really to embrace that, to embody that, I think that is how the forgiveness can start or maybe start and end. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, then I mean, we become identified with, if I'm, Richard Rohr said this comment that I love so much. He said that an hour by hour practice of gratitude is the only practice that can withstand the temptation to resentment. And I, I think that's such a an interesting idea that he actually defined gratitude. Um, he, he looked at the original Latin gratis to be unworthy. And of course, a lot of us would go unworthy. What do you mean? But what I heard him say is that there's a certain magic in just getting to experience existence that that on some level, how did I incarnate in this body, in this time, in this 
wild experience. And why me? You know, why do I have this gift out of jillions? Of, you know, like yeah. what is it like? And that's the un, un like undeserving is like whoa. I mean, the my, the sheer nature of my existence is miraculous, and the fact that I can be awake is miraculous. And it's that kind of awareness, that field of awareness that can withstand the temptation to fall into these uh, territorial, agitated, raw tensions that we carry. And so what I hear you saying is that when you're meeting that part of you, uh, hate or whatever, whatever comes up with an experience of love, you're loving the totality of your existence, which means you have the capacity to make sense of, to hold whatever's yeah. happening, because our anger and hate tends to become all of us if we let it. Yes, yes. And to, to make, make this more clear for me, maybe you too, is when I feel these negative feelings towards myself or others, Okay, you know what I say right away? I hate that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I hate that I feel that way. I don't yeah. want to feel that way. No. That's not right. That's no. not right. So that's the forgiveness part of this. You know what? Mary, I forgive you for feeling that way. Uh, yeah. That's 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 saying it more clearly. Yeah. And that's that's not easy. Because we're hardest on ourselves in yeah. the long run because we're it's us. Everything comes back to us. So when you know, my whole my whole life has been I want to be love, unconditional love every instant. <laughs> I, that's my goal. Yeah. When I'm not, I hate it. That that's what I I mean, I've I mean, this is I don't know if it's sad to say, but it's it's really coming more clear now that this is this is forgiveness. Hmm. You know what? You do. You don't like it. You don't want it, but you do. I don't know why it's so deep or why it's still there, but it is. And I'm going to forgive you. Hmm. That's and if powerful. I can do that, then I can forgive you. But until I do that, I'm not going to forgive you because I'm not forgiving myself. How could I say, oh, yeah, I'll let you, but I hate it in me, but you're okay. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that a lot. No, I know. This is, this is an, another step for me hmm. lately. And I, I say that almost like, really? I'm 69 <laughs> years old. I've been doing this for so many years. And that's the joy of it, too. It's insatiable. We always go deeper in ourselves. And, 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 we're, and we're everything. We're never going to be unconditional love every minute in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. So you know, stop it. I mean, it, it's, it can be, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to, I'm expecting to, I'm, I heard this too recently. I, I, I expectation versus expectancy. So if we have an expectation, you know, forget it. 
but if we have an ex because if we have an expect i expect to do better today i expect to you know be able to forgive myself it's more in the present moment it's more this intentional way of being and of living mm -hmm. than you know of god to be every instant pure love that's not my goal that that's a goal goal isn't the present moment i mean it, it, it's it's a paradox too so much is a paradox of life of psychedelic experience you know i'm all one yet i'm myself i'm you know i'm i'm here i'm there i don't i could i'm nothing and i'm everything and paradoxicality is life too mm -hmm. so that i can have love and fear mm, thank you for that what a gift that's a, a i'm glad we got, yeah yeah so i, I know we've got to start closing down a bit and i want to i want to i want to talk about the ultimate question as we're closing yeah out, oh which yeah is death. <laughs> yes. oh, oh isn't that interesting so <laughs> i started yeah i just started doing death workshops um about a year ago and it, and it wasn't i mean again it was just kind of this organic thing it's something i've thought about in this class I had when we did a death exercise years ago. And it's like, mm. you know, that was really powerful. And that was really interesting. And I can see how I can bring this in. And so that was a long time ago. And then maybe a year or two later, something else I was doing is like, you know, this is kind of, I could bring this in for anyway. Um, I just kind of all these thoughts and ideas, um, but nothing concrete. And then last year when I was teaching at CIS, the, um, the psychedelic, program for um, therapist, CPTR. Um, and I did guided imageries and this one particular last year in April, uh, I wasn't gonna be doing the same guided imagery, someone else was. So it was like, oh, well, you know what? I've been thinking about doing this guided imagery um, kind of exercise workshop. And I asked if I could, Janice at Phelps, the head of the program, and she said, yes. And so I did it and I, I and many people said it was really powerful. And then I did it again at the other cohort. And then I did it with a group of my friends. And then I did it at um, a Space Sunstone um, a few months ago. But what, so what this death thing, I mean, this is a, a long story. I started, um, I mean, I was a hospice volunteer for 15 years, direct care. I um, have worked with the elderly from one of my first jobs out of social work was working and um, home health with 80 and 90 year olds mm -hmm. of them. Um, I, I used to, when I moved here, I, I always like to do some kind of volunteering. I went to the closest nursing home and, and just once a week and got them together and sang and danced with them. So I've always been um, in this space of often of people who are, um, you know, at their death or close and, um, and, and then the psychedelic experiences, of course, death is not uncommon. The ego death, of course, is what many people experience, but there's death in many ways. I mean, people having people that they visit, you know, from that have died, people seeing death in this way, people coming to terms with all, death in many ways, their own and others. And so this is all part of um, the importance of bringing death into my space is that if you're a psychedelic therapist and you know, people are gonna have death experiences, 
how aware are you of death and your own death? So it's a workshop on personal death awareness and uh, to be a better for yourself uh, with your death and more comfortable with your death, but also if you're a psychedelic guide to be more able to be with people who are experiencing mm -hmm. these states. And then, um, so that was it. But then I would, you know, my girlfriend was like, you know, Mary, you don't really have the topic right or the, the title right. I feel more alive after this because we were debriefing after I did the workshop with them. And another one said, yeah, you have the title wrong. This is really about living now. And then I mm -hmm. got it, of course. That's why we want to be aware. That's what the psychedelic experience is about, dying before you die. And then the whole piece of all the religions and all the spiritual teachings and all of who we are is die before you die to live more fully now. Mm -hmm. So death is, as we know, just needed to be more and more coming forward, which it has been more. But in this space, I want to bring this forward and I think it's what I have to present is really powerful to help people have more understanding and comfort and clarity around death so they can live more fully now. And it's that whole piece of letting our identity go. We're not just this one, we're all connected. So it all, all is this, you know, comes forward in whatever it be. Do you know, I've been talking about this a lot. Do you know the, the app we croak? Oh, is that, that's not, um, which I'm call it. It's amazing. That, well, it's amazing. That it's, is I, that, I don't know who did it, but it's the ideas in Bhutan. They are contemplating and being mindful of their death, death often. And, uh, my, my friend of mine, Bill Curley recommended this years ago. And yeah. so I get the five notifications on my phone each day that say, Hey, remember you're going to die. And then you click on the notification and it's some beautiful quote from somebody that we would all know. And it's been a really beautiful reminder every day. I mean, every time I could pick up my phone right now and it's like, hey, you're going to die. And my son and I have been talking about this a lot because the idea of memento mori comes up, you know, this remembrance of your own death. And yeah. so we, we've been engaging this. And here he is, an 18 year old guy who I'm like, the last thing you're thinking about is death. But he's very interested in this being confronted with your own death and oh, wow. remembering that because he really gets it. He's like, no, I want to live fully. I want to be fully engaged. Really? Totally. It's radical. I'm, I'm loving it. But that point, and I think that's one of the greatest things that, uh, of course, it's hard not to think about Brian Marescu's work when we hear that, you know, ancient quote, oh, yeah. you know, die before you die, that, that this experience <laughs> of your own death, or at least being confronted with your own death is the thing that brings you more into your own life. And, mm. and uh, you know, the, and the psychedelic experience, interestingly enough, often does that. Uh, whether it's, as you say, a discussion with a departed, uh, a journey into an afterlife, or the experience of your body dying, and, and being in relationship to that, that again, is uh, not arguable. If you've experienced that, you, you've got that experience, and then that if you allow it, you can either forget it, as wild as that is, or allow for your life to change as a result of having that experience. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm aware of our, us needing to close out. So uh, let's do that. Are there any other threads, anything else that we need to address before we shut down for the day? I think that was a lot. <laughs> that was great, Mary. I'm so stoked to rewatch this and edit it. I, uh, I'm, yeah. I, I want to thank you 
for how you how you you know interviewed i guess yeah yeah i just feel so um it was just so fun and it was important and it was uh, ways that i i don't often talk i do some but you really got got in and i appreciate that i appreciate you a lot thank you okay bye bye Oh